So today we're looking at Luke 22 verses 53 to 65. We're continuing our series through Luke and we're in a kind of a bad place. We're going through all those passages where Jesus is betrayed and arrested. Uh, the guards are insulting him. Trial is death and Peter denying him. All those kind of bad things. So today we're in Luke 22 reading from verse um, 54. Then seizing him, that's Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. Then, he, But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you, are, are, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. So, tricky passage, tricky series of passage, all the, the bad stuff. But... Um, you go through these difficult passages because you know the good ones are coming. We are on our way to Easter. But before we get there, we've got to go through the bad stuff. Before you get to the good stuff, that's often the way. Before you uh, can, you know, run the marathon, you've got to do the training, uh, which can be hard and, and difficult and all kinds of things. I think prayer is a bit like that. Many of you will know this. You know that it's wonderful when God answers prayer. But before God answers prayer, you've got to go through that process of praying. And sometimes you've got to pray a long time. You've got to pray uh, hard prayers before you see God answer prayers. Um, I think there's a good reason why Jesus says to his disciples, tells them a parable in Luke 18, verse 1. He says, and then he told them this parable to um, show them that they must always pray and not give up. Because it's tempting to give up praying. Uh, because it's hard. But it's worth it to get there when you get the answered prayer. Uh, we had to move earlier this year. And we had plenty of notice that we had to move. And when I first heard that we had to move, my initial response was actually, I was a bit excited, which was very unusual. It caught me off guard because it's, moving isn't generally a very exciting thing to do, quite the opposite, or quite stressful. And I don't normally get excited about things like this, but I felt like, no, this is, this is you know, an opportunity for God to do something. I was quite excited about seeing what God would do. And of course, my wife and I, we prayed about the move and where we should move. And um, God answered those prayers in terms of where the house we're in now is, is perfect for us in many ways. It's, it's fantastic. But of course, there's a, a, a gap of time between finding out you've got to move and actually 
moving into your new house and in that gap as it went on and and God didn't seem to be doing anything you know the excitement died down there was stress and difficult times uh, and prayer was like that what are you doing God why aren't you doing anything but not every prayer gets answered though I think we know that some of us have prayers that we've been praying for a long time maybe years that God's not answered and we maybe we carry those keep those hidden inside us because well you know who wants to bring out unanswered prayers they may look God look bad don't they um, why would you share the things that God's not doing in your life or maybe we keep them hidden because we're afraid that if we bring them into the light and look at them and that they'll they'll make us ask difficult questions that we can't answer and our faith may wobble and tremble uh, and and fall. Uh, many years ago, I was in my office in the working day. I was supposed to be working, but I was thinking about prayer. And I was thinking about unanswered prayer in particular because we had a, a young lady in our church, uh, uh, a girl who had become ill when she was quite young. And um, this illness had robbed her of her youth, really. Uh, and people had been praying for her for, for many years, but she wasn't getting any better. In fact, it seemed like she was getting worse. And I was thinking, well, why is this? We've been praying for her for, for years and, and nothing's happening. And then I had a revelation, if you like. I had a moment of clarity where I realised why our prayers weren't being answered. And... I came to the conclusion, the realisation, if you like, that it was because prayer didn't work. Prayer didn't do anything. That was the conclusion I came to. And then I thought, well, why doesn't prayer do anything? And again, I realised why prayer didn't do anything. And it was because God didn't exist. That was the conclusion I came to in my office there. There was no God. And that's why prayer didn't work. Maybe in your life you've known people who have been Christians or have expressed some kind of faith and they don't do that any longer. Oz talked a little bit uh, about this when he spoke a few weeks ago about Judas betraying Jesus. And uh, people have reasons for abandoning their faith. And if you talk to them, they might give you some very logical, well thought out reasons. But I suspect, and certainly in the conversations I've had, one of the major factors, I think, in why people turn away from their faith is simply disappointment. It wasn't what they were hoping for, or God didn't do something they were hoping he would do, or a prayer that they really earnestly, desperately desired. Nothing happened. Prayer didn't get answered. God has let them down. They're disappointed, so they walk away. Peter turns his back on Jesus here in this passage that we we just read. Why? Why does he do this? I think the most obvious answer seems to be because he's afraid. You know, Jesus has been arrested. The disciples are in trouble now and you don't want to be associated with Jesus. So they, they question him. You're with Jesus, aren't you? And no, no, I, I wasn't. I don't know him because you don't want to be associated with this guy because he's afraid of the consequences but I'm not sure it's quite that simple it's not quite simply fear because Peter up to this point in the story has not demonstrated 
anything other than courage, really. At the meal, when Jesus actually says, you know, Peter, you know, before the dawn breaks, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter can't believe it. His response is, no, never, never. I, I will go to prison with you. I will die with you, Lord. That's what Peter says. And I think he really believes it. And it's not just something he says because, you know, they're, they're sitting around having a nice meal and, and, you know, they're warm and well fed. And it's not quite that simple because even, again, in the garden, when the temple guard come to arrest Jesus, Judas is there and he, he betrays Jesus. We're told in Luke's gospel that one of the disciples draws their sword and, and sort of strikes out a, a high priest's servant. And of course, if you read the other gospels, you know exactly who that disciple is. He's not named in Luke, but in other gospels, he's named as Peter. It's Peter who draws his sword. It's Peter who, who fights that's not cowardice in that moment. And then we're told again the disciples scatter, but not Peter. We read in this very passage that he follows at a distance. He's, he doesn't run away. He follows. He wants to see this through to the end. So having demonstrated courage at several points in the last sort of four or five hours, why is it that when a servant girl around a fire says, your face looks familiar. Haven't I seen you with this Jesus guy? He says, no, nothing to do with me. Well, the thing is, I think Peter has had some time to think about everything. He's had some time to think about what's gone on. I mean, if you read again in the passage in Luke, we might think that he denies Jesus three times in quick succession. But Luke tells us, you know, a little while later, he's asked and then a little while later, he's asked and then an hour passes before he's asked the third time. Peter's got time to think on the journey from the garden to, to following Jesus and then sitting around this fire. He's got time to think. And I think if you had been there and you'd looked into Peter's face, you might not have seen fear. You might have seen disappointment. Jesus had let him down. Several months, years before, Jesus and his disciples had been at Caesarea Philippi and Jesus had said, well, who do people say that I am? And his disciples had said, oh, you, some of you say, say, some of them say you're a prophet, some say you're Elijah, all these different things. And he says, who do you say that I am? What do you think of me? And it's Peter who replies, well, you're the, the son of God, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the one who's going to save us. You're the one who's going to change everything and our fortunes will be transformed and in the garden that moment appears to have come the moment where the kingdom of God is going to be made real the revolution begins here and Peter draws his sword he's waited for this moment and Jesus says no 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 Peter put your sword away that's not how things happen disappointment this is not how it's supposed to go. It's supposed to be a glorious moment, not a moment of humiliation and defeat. When Jesus said, again at Caesar I Philippi in the past, he said, I must be the son of man, must be handed over to his enemies and killed. It's Peter who says, no, that will never happen. I can't believe it because that is not what is supposed to happen. Now, I've broken one of the rules of preaching, a piece of advice I was given, it's good advice, is that if you tell a story, 
you should finish the story before you move on because if you leave a story half told people are, are thinking about well what happened next how did the story end uh, rather than engaging what, what you're going on to say but I'm afraid I've done that because I started telling you a story about me sitting in my office and realizing that prayer didn't work because God didn't exist but obviously I'm standing here in front of this camera speaking about God speaking about Jesus so obviously that moment didn't last so what happened and I'll tell you what happened it, it's a little bit difficult to put it into words I think what happened in, in that office but I'll give it a go um, so the thing is I was sitting there and I'd come to the conclusion that there was no God and I meant it it wasn't just me sulking or being silly it's sort of like I thought no there isn't there isn't that that makes sense but this was a problem for me because at the time I was working for uh, uh, a Christian environment. I was working in a Christian environment. And it's a problem being an atheist when you're sort of working for a Christian organisation. And it wasn't just that I was working for them, that was my job. They were providing the house as well. And uh, so, I mean, if, if many of you decide, you know what, I don't believe in God anymore... You, it just means you get to lie in on a Sunday mornings. But I, I was going to lose my house. I was going to lose my job. And I thought for a second, I thought, well, that's not really an obstacle. You know, that's not a good reason to do something you don't believe in, like to go against your principles just because of that. It, it's going to be fine. This was what, what I thought. And then so I thought that was the first problem. It's not really a problem. It's just, you know, it's just the way things are. I don't believe anymore. And... I thought, well, there's another problem. The second problem was my wife, Ruth, who would be a bit annoyed, I think, um, if I suddenly decided that I didn't believe in God anymore. But again, I thought about it and I thought, um, well, you know what? Actually, she's the most wonderful woman I know. She loves me. She's been so supportive. She'll get over it. Like She'll, she'll just adapt. This is our new life now. She'll, she'll be annoyed for a while, but, you know, we'll, we'll get through this. And so I realised... There was nothing stopping me from enjoying my new found uh, atheism. And so I thought, OK, well, great. I've, I've, and I was actually I thought this is good because one of the problems of being a Christian is your life is not your own. And you have to do things that maybe you don't want to do because it's the right thing to do or because you believe God's calling you to do it. But I could that could go out the window now. I could be I could do what I wanted to do. And I sat there and I felt oh, this is amazing. This is wonderful. Why didn't I do this before? And I thought, okay, well, I've got my life back. So what's my life going to look like from this day forward? So I, I had a think. I was sitting there in my office and I thought, what will I do tomorrow? Like, I wake up tomorrow morning. I'll have my day. I'll be free of all this stuff. And uh, I tried to imagine what my life would look like if I didn't believe in God anymore. And the thing is, as I sat there in my office... I realised I couldn't picture my life without Jesus in it. I don't mean without Christianity in it or without the sort of the ritual and the, the, the routine of being a Christian. I just realised I couldn't do it. I could not imagine my life without Jesus in it, without Jesus being alongside me, my constant companion, the source of my, my hope, the source of my life. I could not imagine a life without Jesus. And I sat there in the office and I realised 
that atheism wasn't for me and it was never going to be for me because I realised I could never be disappointed enough with God to walk away from him. It just wasn't going to happen because I felt like Jesus had me. Like I had given Jesus my heart and when it came down to it, I didn't actually want it back. That's how I felt. There's a moment in John's Gospel, in chapter 11, if you want to go and look it up, when uh, Jesus' friend Lazarus dies. And, and we're told that Lazarus is sick and Jesus hears that he's sick. But he doesn't go to Lazarus. He stays away deliberately. And then, then he hears that Lazarus has died. And then he goes. And when he goes, he's met by one of the sisters. Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, who appear in the Gospels, sort of uh, disciples of Jesus, if you could call them that, very much on board with who Jesus is and what he's teaching. And in one of the stories, uh, Mary is the, the hero sitting at Jesus's feet while Martha is, is in the background being a good host. And Jesus says, no, 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 Mary's chosen what's better and that won't be taken away from her. But in this story in John chapter 11, the roles are reversed a bit because obviously when Lazarus was sick, Mary and Martha, I think, were expecting Jesus to come and heal their brother because he'd done so many healings before. They believed he could do it and he didn't come. And they are disappointed with Jesus. It's Martha who meets him when he comes to the village. Mary stays at home, we're told. It's like she's so disappointed she can't even bring herself to meet with Jesus. But Martha comes and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's her disappointment. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But that's not all she says. She goes on to say something else. She goes on to say, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Even now, I know that God will do whatever you ask him to do. Martha's disappointed, I think, but even in her disappointment, she can't live without Jesus. She can't let go of Jesus. Jesus is still her hope in the middle of this disappointment. Some time ago, um, Again, you can read this in John chapter 6. Jesus is teaching and he's got loads of people who have followed him. Loads of disciples, people who love what he's saying. And Jesus starts giving some teaching. Uh, you know, if you, you have to eat my body and drink my blood and, and some strange, difficult things. And, and people start to scratch their heads and look at one another and say, what's he talking about? This is strange. This is weird. Like I liked what he said about some of the other things, but this is just... This is crazy. And they start to abandon him. This is teaching is too hard. Who can accept it, they say. And his disciples leave him. So Jesus is used to people abandoning him. It's been happening throughout his whole ministry, you know, since, since the beginning. And Jesus, in his own disappointment, it seems almost, turns to the disciples and says, well, what about you? What about you, my closest followers? Are you going to leave me too? And it's Peter good old Peter who replies where else should we go you have the words of eternal life we believe you are the holy one of God that's Peter's reply when I was sitting in my office it was just you know that story I've told was longer I think than the actual experience 60 seconds or less than that of this mental figuring everything out but it just took me a short period of time to realize that I could never be disappointed enough to walk away from Jesus. Poor old Peter, as we already said, 
had a more agonizing time of going through this process trying to figure out and then the rooster crows and the dawn breaks and Jesus looks at him and he breaks down because I think he knew I think he knew that he may have been disappointed he may have felt let down by Jesus but in that moment when Jesus looks at him he knew what had really happened he'd let Jesus down he had given up on Jesus but you see the story goes on because we'll read later when we finally get to the resurrection story in Luke the women go to the tomb, they find it's empty and they, they go back and they tell the disciples and we read in Luke, who is it who's first to the first on the scene? Who is it is first? Who's there who runs there to see this empty tomb for himself? It's Peter. Again, in John's Gospel, we read about a story where after the resurrection, the disciples, well, Peter says, well, look, I'm tired of standing around here, waiting around here, let's go fishing. And the disciples go fishing and they're fishing and they see a man on the shore and it's Jesus. And they start to row towards the shore. But Peter, and this is Peter who has not yet sat down with Jesus and had that moment at the end of John's Gospel where Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? That kind of moment where he erases each of the three denials by asking Peter to affirm his love. That moment where things are made right, if you like, that hasn't happened yet. And still, Peter is so desperate to be with Jesus that instead of waiting for the boat to get to shore, he throws off his clothes and dives in the water to swim ashore, to be there first, to be with Jesus. Peter had betrayed Jesus. Peter had denied Jesus. But this is the same Peter who said, look, I've got nowhere else to go. I've got nowhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life. I think at some point in your life, if you've decided you want to follow Jesus, at some point in that journey, you're going to meet a moment where you feel disappointed with God, where you feel like God has let you down. He's not answered a prayer. He's not done something you'd hoped he'd do. Life has not taken the direction you thought it would. I think we all have to go through a process like that in a sense because the only way to not go through it is to expect nothing of God and that's not faith really is it but I think if you dare to trust if you give your heart to Jesus like genuinely give him your life and say okay I'm yours Jesus like Mary did and Martha did and Peter did and the disciples did and and, you know, millions of people have done throughout history. I think if you do that, then there is a risk, yes, that you'll be disappointed. But I think if you've truly given your heart to him, you'll always be able to find your way home. That's what I think. Because in those moments, like Peter around the fire, me sitting in my office, there are things that I forget. But Martha, good old Martha, she didn't forget it. You see, when she said... Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She remembered something important. And it's this. It's even in those low moments where you feel like God's let you down in some way. Or those moments where you feel like you've let God down. And, you, you know, it's just you've made a terrible mistake. The fact is, if 
you're in him and he is in you, then your story goes on. Your story isn't finished yet. Martha knew this. She said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that God will do, God will give you, God will answer your prayers, whatever you ask. Because Martha knew that the story wasn't finished yet. Peter may have forgotten it, I've forgotten it, I forget it often. That it's not over yet. Peter failed, but Jesus had prayed for him. We, we read about that uh, a, a little bit um, uh, a few weeks ago. Peter had prayed for him. Peter, I, I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you turn back, strengthen the others, strengthen the brothers and sisters. Jesus knew that this was not the end of Peter's story, this moment of, of denial around the fireside. This was not the end of his story. Peter, when you come home, when you remember that you've got nowhere else to be, strengthen the brothers and sisters. Peter, your story is not finished yet. This moment by the fire where you feel like let down by me and that you've let me down, this is not the end. The story keeps going. God hasn't finished yet. And so we keep going through these bits of Luke, these difficult passages because we know this is not the end of the story this is not how the story ends we have prayers that we've been praying maybe for many years that God has not answered but that's not the end of the story the story isn't finished yet we may be struggling today this very moment as you're watching me now you may be struggling wondering what's going to happen feel like you've reached the limit and your story is coming to an end God hasn't finished with you yet. And we keep going precisely because he's still telling the story. 